This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic and Epsigon. This week, I chat with Angela Tamofte about what to do with your data in a serverless world. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 79. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm speaking with Angela Tamofte. Hey, Angela, thanks for joining me. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me here. So you are the data platform manager at Trustpilot. So I would love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do at Trustpilot and what Trustpilot is all about. Uh, yes, of course. So as you already mentioned, I'm a, I work as a data platform manager at Trustpilot and I've been with the company for almost six years. Uh, so quite a long period of time for a, a company that it's only been for like 11 years uh, <laughs> on the market. Um, but yeah, I started in the company as a backend developer and then moved to be more of a, a full stack developer. And now I'm the data platform manager because my love for data was always there. <laughs> and I kind of did everything that I could to, to move closer to the data. Uh, to, to be honest, no matter where I was in my career, it was always uh, data that like attracted me the most, like how do you handle it? And to be honest, nowadays, like data is everything. Like you can't take any decision as a business without data. And now everyone is seeing that. So it's uh, it's it's really cool the position I am right now because I can push all these like uh, data analytics that we, we do um, so that we, we take like the right decision. Um, and then yeah, Trustpilot, I mean, Hopefully everyone heard about Trustpilot, at least that's what I want to think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in case you haven't, uh, you should <laughs> uh, use it. It's an online review platform. And I mean, our, our whole mission is to help people to have better experiences uh, when it comes to purchasing online. Uh, but of course, at the same time, we want to help businesses to connect with their customers and also improve uh, their offerings. And uh, for that, we offer all these uh, analytic uh, uh, analytics tools so they understand better their customers and they know where they need to improve um, their business. Uh, and uh, I mean, if you think about like the situation now with COVID, honestly, Trustpilot came perfectly even for me, like I'm talking from my perspective now, but like I had to order everything online, like right. from food to like toilet paper. I didn't go to the store to fight for it. <laughs> I went online and fight for it, uh, fought for it. So, uh, uh, but it came super handy because I'm based in Copenhagen and we, we don't have Amazon here and uh, then you have to purchase from like smaller businesses and you don't know about all of them so uh, I had I found myself searching on Trustpilot okay can I trust this business because I've never heard about it right so I don't want to throw money out there and um, yeah that's what you can use Trustpilot for if you are a consumer and especially in these times it's it's perfect because I can trust that what I find there it's real data and real people and I can get their opinions on, on all of this. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I am super excited to have you here because as much as I am a huge serverless geek, I love data. Like, I'm with you on that. Like, everything that I do, I'm always finding better ways to build or abstract data or interact with data. I built all these libraries, open source libraries. I think all my open source libraries have something to do with data. Um, and what we've seen over the last several years is this move to more and more serverless data, right? Like, capabilities that allow us to, to use databases that are more and more serverless. DynamoDB obviously being one of the big ones, all kinds of crazy stuff happening with relational databases. So uh, you're an expert on databases and data, and I would love to get some of your, you know, sort of your comments and insight on what are those choices 
that people have right now for serverless data. And also, we're in the middle of reInvent right now. Um, so just in the beginning of reInvent, there's already a whole bunch of announcements of new things that Amazon has released and more options that are available. So um, let's start there. What are, you know, what are those serverless options for data that people have? Uh, yeah, so I mean, you've already mentioned DynamoDB, and for me, that's like the first choice when it comes to building serverless applications, to be honest, especially when you think about scaling. Uh, that's my, my first uh, pick. And then Aurora, and yeah, now we have Aurora Serverless 2. Uh, let's see right. what we can do with that one, right? Uh, super excited uh, to see more about uh, the version 2. Um, and then, yeah, you can use S3 Kinesis, and uh, they've released some some other things now for uh, databases like uh, Babelfish uh, to like right. export data, and uh, uh, yeah, then then you had the, um, what was it called, the Glue as well, the oh, yeah, Glue, Glue Elastic Glue views. Elastic views, yeah, yes, which will actually replace some uh, some some of the pipelines that I have probably uh, with like all the DynamoDB streams going to Lambda, then going to Elasticsearch and so on. So probably that will uh, change some of the things that uh, I've done previously. Um, but yeah, when it comes to, to, to databases and surfless, I know like Especially before, I don't know if it's still the case, but when when people were mentioning serverless, was always like Lambda functions and containers and things like that. Uh, but no one was talking about uh, databases, and I think it's a huge mistake because I mean, no matter how scalable you make like your services, if your database is not scalable, then like you're missing the point, right? Um, right, right. And um, yeah, and that's why I think it's super important to look at these uh, serverless databases so that you make your entire pipeline scalable from one end to another. Uh, and that's where yeah, DynamoDB comes, uh, uh, comes super handy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So with DynamoDB, I think if, if people don't know what DynamoDB is, just go and look it up. It's an amazing key value store, document, database. Um, you can do some really cool things with that, but but it does have limitations in terms, especially if you're building like OLAP applications, right? Because you you can't do all these different queries, you can't slice and dice the data different ways. So beyond DynamoDB being a very good sort of, uh, uh, I, I look at it as a perfect application or a perfect database for um, you know your front end users that need to access data quickly, where the access patterns are very consistent and you know what those are going to be. But when you have to start exploring data more or you've got relational things that need to be done, um, what are some of the options there? You mentioned um, Aurora Serverless, right? So let's dig into that a little bit um, and then and then let's talk about V2 because that's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so on Dynamo, the way that we use it is, as, as you mentioned, it's for um, our front application right so that they are scaling scaling uh, accordingly and also that everything is like pre-calculated and the way that you start like you need to be very um, strict when when you store your data in dynamo uh, so that you actually take the benefits out of dynamo otherwise yeah don't don't just throw data there and hope for the best right. uh, but uh, yeah then like you can go to aurora servlets the thing with Dora serverless at least version one um, uh, we we don't use it as much because of some of the limitations that you have with uh, with the Aurora serverless uh, and one big one for us at least was that you can't import from s3 uh, right. and that that's I know. I can't remember at what conference I complain about that, but I I know I complain about it uh, when uh, people from AWS were were there. I was like, I need these people, um, and also the pricing on Aurora Serverless is quite uh, quite high. But of course, when when I mention pricing, like even if you go to Dynamo, which is much cheaper, you need to calculate like how much time, like development times, it takes you to put things in Dynamo, for instance, or like for people to actually understand because it might not be so easy to, to do things in Dynamo. And then 
yeah, with, with Aurora service, uh, unfortunately, we don't use it as much. Uh, but uh, that's why I'm super super curious now with version two, which seems that uh, they are investing more into the serverless version of Aurora, and hopefully they will um, work more and more on it so that we can use it in more like like heavy productionized right. workflows. Because before it it felt like it's not really for your heavy uh, workflows, I would say. Right. Yeah. I mean, in the scaling characteristics of version one was this doubling of capacity where it actually had to like move data between instances and it took like a minute to scale up. And it, it just wasn't one of those things where um, it was as elastic as you wanted it to be. V2, very, very promising. It's very cool because it the instances themselves scale, which is kind of crazy. And it will just and I I did a bunch of tests the other day or last night actually, and just I threw as much as I could at the thing and it just laughed at me. I mean it was like nah, no problem. <laughs> um, and then the other cool thing is according to the website, it says it's going to have all the features of Aurora. So that should mean S3 imports and global tables and all these other things. Um, they actually said there would be global <laughs> tables. So that could be really, really cool. I hope Twice they the listen. price though. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Twice the price though as just as the V1. I did some calculations on it though. I mean, it still might be cheaper uh, depending on your workloads and they say it's 90% cheaper. But um, anyways, I think that's a super interesting option. All right, the other thing you mentioned was S3. Um, and I don't think a lot of people think of S3 as a database, but if you store data in S3, you've got a lot of options, right? Yeah, that's it's actually uh, right that people don't think as 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 true as a as a data store, um, and it's also that it's been there for so long, and all these other new cool have uh, appeared. I I feel like people forgot about S3 and how powerful it is and how flexible it is, and I think the problem with S3 it just doesn't come to your mind as like a data store like how how would you go about but it, it's very flexible once you start uh, start using it and it's the same as with dynamo it might take a bit of time to like actually adjust to how you take your data but uh, I, I think it's a very powerful tool that people forget about um so yeah <laughs> Right, and there's a bunch of interfaces into it as well. I mean, you can use S3 Select, so like on really large files, you can select just a portion of them. So basically, you can query a file or an object within S3, and then you've got Athena, right? So what what are your thoughts on Athena? Uh, we're actually not using Athena um, as an uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I I can't really say much on like production. Um, uh, work uh, because we don't we don't use it that's my take on it you know well, we don't use it, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know i i think the funny thing is is that i mean with as large of a, you know, as a footprint that trustpilot has and all the different services you're using i mean again it's impossible probably to use all of these services, right? So you just have to pick the ones um, that actually work for you. Um, but Athena, I, I mean, I, what I love about Athena is just the fact that you map over these S3 buckets and you can query it like normal SQL, um, which I mean is, is sort of, you know, and gives you the performance of something like maybe BigQuery. Like what about what about things like BigQuery or uh, Azure, um, uh, Cosmos DB or things like that? Have you, have you played around with any of those? Uh, yeah, so... The reason why we don't use Athena is because we use BigQuery. Uh, so um, yeah, it, it's uh, very powerful, and that's what we use to analyze all our all of our data and pre-compute everything, and then we push it back to uh, the AWS um, uh, space, where we then like um, use it in Dynamo or our like any other database to actually use it in our um, applications. But for analytics, uh, we use uh, BigQuery. Awesome. All right, so we just talked about a bunch of different uh, database services that are available to you. And we mentioned some that are cross-cloud, right? Or multi-cloud, right? They're not, they're not just <laughs> Amazon options. So 
Uh, this is something I think is a really difficult choice for people who are building new applications. Um, you know, how do you, and, and not just new applications, but refactoring old ones as well. Uh, what, what do you have to think about, you know, when you're moving to uh, either, either build a new application or refactor an old application? Like, how do you think about, you know, what you choose for a database and when, and I guess, when is serverless a right choice for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, we have like we use both um, AWS and then Google Cloud, uh, but we kind of try to stay in the AWS world when it comes to all of our production data and services and serverless and so on. Um, so first is like think which um, cloud provider is the right for you. Uh, I'll go for AWS, but I mean. Uh, I might be biased there. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, the the way that um, you have to look at the applications that you have. So if you start with, um, I don't know, monolith and then you want to split it, um, I would go with serverless. And that's something that we try to do at Trustpilot to go with like serverless first. So we have this uh, principle that um, whatever you want to build new, or refactor something, uh, you should think of how you can do that in a serverless application um, because of all the benefits that you get from uh, using serverless applications like uh, scalability and price and so on. Uh, so I would start with that, like think how you can put your application into a serverless um, um, infrastructure. Uh, and then, of course, if that's not possible, because there are still limitations on the, the serverless uh, choices, then we go to containers, uh, so ECS or EKS. Uh, and then if that's not the right choice, still, like, the last resort is uh, an EC2 instance, and then you just dump your things there uh, <laughs> and pay for it because you do that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Right. So that's kind of the, the mindset that we, we have around like when we go for something new or like refactoring. And to be honest, now it's almost almost everything it's it's serverless when you think about like a new like building something new because you have so many right. tools there that you can yeah, you can get around uh serverless. But as I said, like there are still some limitations um that yeah, I, I find and I'm like, oh, no, it can't be serverless. <laughs> and yeah, you have to go for something else. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Epsigon. Epsigon enables teams to instantly simplify, visualize, and understand what's happening with their complex microservice architectures. With their comprehensive, lightweight auto instrumentation, users are able to eliminate the gaps in data and manual work associated with other APM solutions, providing significant reductions in issue detection, troubleshooting, and resolution times. Epsigon aggregates, unifies, analyzes, and correlates data from all the third-party tools you love, delivering a single pane of glass for understanding serverless, containers, Kubernetes, and more. Engineers now know when something is wrong and can immediately trace issues to root cause before they affect production. Increase developer efficiency and reduce application downtime with Epsigon. And as a special for Serverless Chats listeners, if you try out Epsigon and connect your first trace today, they'll hook you up with one of their awesome t-shirts. Check it out at epsigon.com slash serverless chats. So you mentioned the sort of this process that you use at Trustpilot, and that's uh, that's super interesting because again, I always love getting insights um, into other companies uh, and how they go through these processes. And I know you had mentioned to me in the past um, uh, your first attempt at moving data into DynamoDB because um, that's something that's something you really got to think about, right? I mean, it, and again, DynamoDB it's a NoSQL database. You've you've got to pre-compute a lot of data. You've got to think about your access patterns. So uh, what? tell that story, because I think that's really interesting, uh, sort of the experience you went through. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So with DynamoDB, we started to look at it around 2017, uh, when there weren't that many tutorials about it. 
so we started to to look at it. We were so at that time we had all of our data in um, MongoDB, and then we're like so used with how the way MongoDB was working um, that when we started to look at Dynamo, we're like, what is this all about? Like. What's with this key value store that you're trying to push us to use? And uh, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that smooth uh, for us to start using DynamoDB, <laughs> to be honest. And in the beginning, we're like, yeah, this is just some silly type of database and we're going to use it for like, I don't know, some, some simple uh, scenarios that we have. Uh, and yeah, that, that was the beginning. Like we... We really didn't think too much about DynamoDB, and now we changed to be our preferred type of uh, data store. So there you have it. <laughs> so what? So what? What's your advice? I guess out of that, I mean, because again, there are a lot of different options. Like you said, learning S3 and figuring out what you can do with that. Um, you know, you don't even use Athena, so that I mean, so knowing how or what you can do in Athena, like, so what's the advice? Um, for somebody that wants to make that leap to some sort of serverless database or, you know, Dynamo or, or Aurora serverless or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely try to get all the information that you can about it. Um, and yeah, look, look up for tutorials. Uh, nowadays, like, yeah, you, you can find a lot of information and then start using it practice uh, because especially when it comes to DynamoDB, like it's quite, I mean, it's not that easy to see those patterns, to be honest, especially in the beginning, because if you come, for instance, from uh, a SQL database and you kind of know how to store your data and how your query will look like, your indexes and so on, but then you go to Dynamo where you have a primary key and a sort key and do things with it, you know, and they're like, right. uh, so what can I do with with uh, with this? So it takes it takes practice. It takes a lot of practice to see the access patterns. And uh, yeah, I would say like whenever you have something new that you want to store, like just give it a try to see how would you do that in Dynamo and also watch watch a lot of tutorials from from people. Um, right. So, um, yeah, that that's that would be my advice uh, and when it comes to to companies if you want to push people towards something new i would say really give them time to adjust yeah um because companies trying to to say like oh DynamoDB will save a lot of money or serverless it's saving a lot of money because they just went to a presentation where they were saying that and then it's like yeah we need to do this and they they expect that overnight, but it's not like that. Right. It's like if, if you actually want to get the benefits, you need to give people time to actually adjust to whatever new technology you want to adopt. Right. And that's something I find with DynamoDB too is you can't just sketch it out and put it in theory. Like you have to actually start using it. Like you have to start putting things down, putting data in there and figure out how you uh, you can actually access that and, and whether it's going to work for you, you know, or what you're trying to do, because you will get your modeling wrong a number of times before you finally get it right. Um, so don't just model something and then throw it into production without going through a number of iterations. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. funny, though, because again, I I remember way, way back when, and I'm, I'm getting much older than I'd like to admit, but um, <laughs> when I first started, when I first started using SQL um, and I was writing, you know, I, I, you know, basic select queries and insert, like fine, easy, um, you know, I was using SQL Server a lot and MySQL, but you get to a point where, you know, it seems like third normal form and building all these things is just impossible to understand. Like, I mean, it eventually gets to the point where it's very, it's very simple to understand once you get it, but it, it does seem like a daunting thing. Then you make the move to DynamoDB and I look at how you would, how you would structure uh, a, a, a relational database and you're like, wow, that is easy. Like, that's just so simple. Um, now I've gotten much better with DynamoDB and, and, uh, and, and understanding the patterns. But yeah, it takes an investment. It takes a huge investment for you to get there. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, 
And especially now that people have experience with other types of database, I think it's even more difficult to make that switch because it is right. quite different and it takes time to to see this uh, these patterns and as as you said like you you you'll get it wrong many times <laughs> probably <laughs> before you get it right um and like like yeah you need to start with your queries you 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 kind of need to do a lot of planning before right uh with uh, with with dynamo right because you can't just dump your data you need to do all the planning on like, okay, what what I expect, like everything needs to be planned before you actually do it. Uh, but of course, I mean, it's it's easy now to to play with the data and moving it around like before was like two years to, to transition from like <laughs> one table to another, you know, like it's like, right, yeah, it was right. painful, but now you can play with data much easier. So in that, terms um yeah you you can practice with dynamo and see if you if you can store things in there or not uh, i would say you can but it might not be super easy in the beginning right yeah so i think the the takeaway here is if you're a company and you're putting stuff into dynamo db and you get it wrong the first time you're not alone because we've all done it, right? <laughs> just, so um, just keep on yes. working on it and you'll get there. Um, you mentioned uh, a little bit about limitations, like you run up to uh, run up against limitations when you're when you're moving things into you know some sort of serverless database offering um, or just serverless in general. I mean, there are there are limits there. So how important is it to understand those limits? Because I find that they're very high, but when you hit them, they're also very painful. Uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, for instance, with uh, with uh, Lambda, uh, one of the limitations that uh, I'm kind of, I find myself lately hitting it quite a lot is um, the concurrency. Like I want to, and not just limit the concurrency, but when I limit the concurrency, you know, to not throttle everything that is yeah. being invoked with. And uh, I know, like, I was like, I still, because... In my mind was like, yeah, we'll just do this. It's simple. It's serverless. Uh, this event is triggering this lambda, and then this lambda will call some third-party API. And then we've hit this limitation of which I didn't think about that, like the third-party API had its own limitation. Was like, oh, you can only call us 50 times per second. And right. then I was like, oh. How am I doing this with uh, with serverless? And I kind of trying to 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 stay in the serverless world, you know, and like really like move things around. And it got to right. like a super complex solution. And I was like, okay, now I I just need to say no to serverless and move to a container, which will be so much easier to explain to people what I'm doing right. than try to to stay in the serverless world. But like I spend a lot of time on like finding a solution there, and uh, yeah, it, it's good to know the the limitations so that you don't just yeah spend a lot of time trying to to reinvent things uh, just so that you stay right. serverless. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it, as you said, like, that's one thing that you need to do, like learn the limitations so that, uh, you know, what you're dealing with, but they are adapting everything and like, yeah, updating all these things that you kind of need to, uh, yeah, look at the news all the time, <laughs> I would right. say, because right. they are, they are constantly working on, on this. Um, so yeah. yeah. I totally agree. I mean, and that's it's one of those things too, where it's like, uh, and you mentioned this, I think, in the beginning, where you said, you know, you get one part of your application, one piece of your architecture that'll scale really well, and then you got other pieces of your architecture that won't. Um, so solving the database problem is really great. I mean, things like Aurora Serverless V2, uh, DynamoDB solve a lot of those. Um, you know, Lambda functions can scale infinitely, uh, you know, whatever they want to do. Um, and then, but then you still have those problems with APIs, right? So you still have to figure out how do you manage those quotas and do that. And I think a lot of people get frequency um, and concurrency confused, right? So if you, or, you know, so if you have a quota of 200 uh, calls per minute, you can't set your Lambda functions to 200 concurrency because what if it only takes you know, two seconds for that to run. Um, then exactly. you're running, you know what I mean, thousands of invocations against it. So 
lots of things to think about there. Not necessarily solved yet, but like you said, getting there. So, um, all right. So let's go back to Trustpilot for a second, because I'm really interested, again, in kind of digging into your architecture and, and how you solve some of these problems. So let's start, first of all, I mean, you're obviously a huge fan of serverless, right? Which is great. Love serverless, <laughs> love serverless enthusiasts, especially data, serverless data enthusiasts. Um, but what about the rest of your organization? Like, how did you bring that in? How did you say, hey, we need to go to a serverless uh, database or we need to start thinking serverlessly? Um, like, how did that change happen within your engineering? Uh, yeah, so it definitely took us time uh, and we started quite early looking at Lambda functions and I remember um, it was after after they released or announced it at uh, reInvent and we had a few colleagues that uh, went there and when they returned from reInvent, like like every time when come, someone comes from reInvent, they were very excited. <laughs> Right. And they were like, we're going for this. And all of us were like, what? What's this Lambda function? Leave me alone. I'll just build my right. application here the way I know. Uh, so it took us time. Uh, and I think like what helped us was this uh, idea of like just try using serverless, but you're not forced to use service. And we were constantly trying to uh, teach uh, people and like uh, constantly uh, talking about the benefits and showing like we had of course we had people that kind of wanted to to use this from the beginning because it was something new uh, and you always right. have those people in, in your in companies right that they are attracted to whatever is new so we had people uh, testing out and then like uh, sharing with uh, the rest of the company on like what they achieve and how it's possible and then slowly get everyone in the company starting with like service uh, architectures and then like that's how we we grew um, and was the same with the database, uh, like the service database, which is like some teams we we try to to use it and then show the benefits to the rest of the company, and that's how we kind of got everyone uh, to to be interested in in serverless. And they they've seen so we kind of showed the the benefits in our company, not from just general uh, presentations, you know, marketing presentations, where like this is serverless. This is what you get, you know, it's like, no, no, let's get real. Like, what do you actually get? And uh, yeah, that that's how we got uh, people excited. And um, now um, everyone kind of wants to go to serverless first. Right. Now, so what about like your ops team or like your SREs? Like what, what was the impact on them? Oh, I think they loved it the, the most, <laughs> I would say, because all of a sudden <laughs> they they didn't get requests like, oh, can you please give me access to this or can you create an easy tool for me? And, you know, those those requests that no one really wants to deal with. Uh, so, um, yeah, now they can actually focus on uh, building infrastructure that uh, helps us and uh, building uh, building. Because before it wasn't about building, right. it was about like, supporting developers in in doing their job more and now as a developer you can do all those things uh, yourself uh, so they the sre or devops team can focus on building infrastructure that helps us in in different ways right yeah and i know um i had a co-location facility for a very for many many years um, and I would always get the text message at 2 a.m. that a, um, a blade went down or that, you know, there was a problem with the sand disk array or something like that. And you're always, you know, driving to the co-location. You have to physically change out hardware. So besides just not having to necessarily do that, I mean, obviously for me, and I say obviously, but maybe this isn't obvious to people, but I, since I went serverless, I haven't gotten a single alert at 2 a.m. to say that a server went down uh, or something like that, which... Uh, made my life a lot better. Uh, yeah, that's actually right. Like since we we moved our data and our services as well to to serverless, like no more like alerts at two a.m. Uh, to like 
oh, you need to scale this database or like you're having problems with this service, you need to provision more. Uh, so that that's a huge benefit. And I know people that are on call, they appreciate that for sure. Uh, <laughs> right. Like no more midnight calls to, to do like, yeah, I need to click these three buttons and you're like, oh, exactly. really? Like someone can't yeah. do that <laughs> automatically, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's a huge, I think it's a just a huge morale boost. I mean, I, and I love that I, th these are more and more stories of this where um, you hear that operations people might be sort of um, uh, nervous or I guess uh, intimidated by serverless. And then the ones that implement it are like, this is the greatest thing ever because now I can focus on things that actually matter, uh, which is, is something that's important um, as opposed to, like you said, just, you know, doing the daily toil. So... Um, so let, let's talk about the trust pilot architecture um, and uh, and look at sort of what you have now. I know you gave a presentation a while back. I'm sure things have changed. You probably moved more stuff there, but just what's that typical overview look like? I mean, are you just using DynamoDB or are you using a you know sort of a broad range um, of uh, of databases? Uh, yeah, I mean, one thing I'm, I'm I always try to mention when it comes to databases as is that you shouldn't put everything in one type because there are right. so many types of databases and you you need to look at the purpose of that database so that you use the right one for your uh, use case um, and yeah that's what we try and do at Trustpilot we have uh, data in Dynamo, Aurora, Elastic Cache, Elastic Search um, we still have some data in MongoDB as well, um, in Redis and like you name it, like <laughs> different uh, data source for sure, because we have different use cases. And that's what you have to look at uh, when you choose the, the, the data store. All right, and are you continuing to um, sort of evolve your architecture and move things away from MongoDB and some of these other sort of uh, non-serverless options? Uh, when it comes to MongoDB, I mean, we've tried to move us like a lot of our data from MongoDB uh, because of scaling. Uh, so we moved a lot in, in Dynamo, but some of the data that we still have in MongoDB, it just makes sense to use MongoDB for um, the, the use cases that we have. Uh, so that's why we, we still have some data there. It's still the right choice uh, for us. Uh, but who knows? I mean, now we have document database uh, from Amazon, which supports MongoDB. Right. Uh, so that might be um, a right solution for us. Uh, but yeah, for now, MongoDB works. So we kind of uh, keep the data there because we've also been in these like continuous refactoring for a very long time. Uh, so right, right. if it works, we keep it there for now, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, right. and I, I think yeah. though, I think that's a th that's not uncommon. I, I mean, it's going to take a while, I think, for people to get everything moved over. Um, and it's really hard when you have something that is running okay and it's working for you and there's not a problem um, for you to say, yeah, maybe we'll just leave that for now uh, and and then work on some other things. But um, you're definitely right. Once you've established, once you have sort of a legacy, um, you know, a legacy application, it is hard to to think about just spending all that time refactoring it just to, you know, just to get um, uh, the data piece changed, especially if you're not having the performance issues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a lot of time that you need to invest to do that and we've done a lot of it not to say that we have we have invested a lot of time uh, in uh, in refactoring because of all the the scaling issues that we're having previously but now that we've hit like a moment where we kind of we can yeah breathe a bit in that space and we can focus on other things and it's like okay let's Let's leave this as it is for a second because it works and focus right. on other things that might be on fire. Uh, and that's the, the case we have here with, uh, with MongoDB. Uh, like we don't have that much data left. It's still quite, quite a lot of data there, but it, it works for now. And like the, the complexity that we have in there, it's, it doesn't make it so easy to, to refactor. Uh, so that's the reason why we, Right now, we are keeping things as, as they are uh, with the data that we still have in there.
Hi everyone, I want to take a minute to talk about New Relic. Now I know when it comes to things like observability and tracing, you're probably thinking I should talk about Datadog, Prometheus, or even OpenTelemetry. And a few months ago, I would have totally agreed with you. But New Relic did something a little out there. They literally reworked everything. They've actually been listening when people talk about blind spots, being stuck with a dozen different tools, or getting hit with hidden costs. So first, they went open source, making it so that you can actually instrument whatever you need. Then they made it so that you can monitor your whole entire stack in one place, including your serverless workloads. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's just one UI with all the tools you need. Plus, they completely changed their pricing to a consumption-based model so that you can easily predict your bill. Now, I love this pricing model because it scales as my cloud application scales, which feels a lot like serverless to me. And best of all, there's a perpetual free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month totally free. You can try it and make sure that it works for you before it costs you anything. So if you want observability made simple, New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check out their new platform at newrelic.com. All right, so I love to talk theory and a lot of what we talked about, I think, um, will help people. But what about actual like real world stuff? So let's let's talk about an example. I know you have a couple of examples here, but what are some of the problems that you were having? Because again, if it's working, you know, maybe we don't need to invest the money. But when we start to have problems with things, um, you know, we need to think about refactoring those and maybe taking a serverless approach. At least that's how I think about it. So I know I know you've done this a few times at Trustpilot. So um, what are what's a practical example? What was a problem that you solved with serverless? Um, you know that 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 made it the right choice. Uh, well, it's the it's all about scalability. Uh, to be honest, that was one real problem that we're having with scaling the the database, the the Mongo database. And to be honest, some of the the issues were because of the way that we configured things uh, and the way that mm -hmm. we stored. Uh, and uh, yeah, an exact. Example uh, for this one was in the beginning, we're storing all of our data into one cluster in uh, MongoDB. And then like whenever you're putting a lot of um, pressure on one data point, the entire cluster would fail. So all the applications right. that were using uh, the, that data were down. Uh, so we we changed that in, in Mongo, uh, but then still like scaling uh, was a real problem for us and the company has grown a lot uh, so yeah that that's why we we knew we had to do something and that's why DynamoDB is the right definitely the right choice for us uh, because it's it yeah it, it's scalable and uh, uh, yeah we we know and we I shouldn't say we know, but we definitely hope that the company was, will grow even more. Uh, and uh, that makes it the right choice because I don't see us, I, I don't see the need of refactoring again uh, what we have in Dynamo, for instance, because I know it can right. it can handle the scale even though it might double. It can still handle it. So that makes it a great choice for us because as I said, we've been in this refactoring mode for a long period. Uh, we've been changing right. from like MySQL database on-premise to MySQL database in the cloud, then from MySQL to Mongo. So, so much refactoring that now that I can say like we have data in Dynamo and I don't see the necessity of switching to something else because of scaling issues, it makes it just perfect, I would say. Right. Yeah, so so you mentioned in um, in that talk that you gave um, you know, this idea of the, the user signups and expirations on, I think, was it like temporary accounts and things like that? Yes. So that was one of the big things. Was that, was that one of the things you moved from Mongo to DynamoDB? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was uh, one example. Um, so the, the scenario was that uh, we have, um, so people can sign up, uh, but then they have to activate their account. And that's quite uh, like, a normal scenario, right? Um, right? So they have to activate and if they don't activate in like 30 days, then we need to delete the account. Um, and we're doing that in our only Mongo database for where we're keeping all the data for uh, consumers. Um, and of course, we're putting uh, 
a lot of load, unnecessary load on our primary database. Uh, so we decided to actually take this entire scenario out and we uh, we started okay using events when a consumer will sign up we'll send an event to store some data in a DynamoDB which would say this uh, consumer uh, sign up and then we'll have another event coming from the activate like the the activation API uh, saying this consumer activated. So then we'll delete the data in this DynamoDB. And we had one DynamoDB with all the unactivated accounts. And then mm -hmm. from there, we could look at um, like when the account was created and we can delete uh, whatever accounts that are not uh, activated in time. Uh, so this way we took that whole like pipeline uh, to to serveless in its own context and you know, like its own uh, service and then doing its thing there separate from our primary data um, and we did it with like two events and DynamoDB uh, and then yeah another lambda that was uh, listening to uh, was uh, querying this uh, database uh, so it was a very simple scenario, but we took a lot of load from the main database by not going like every, I think it was like every day would um, query the, the database to get like all unactivated uh, accounts. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was a very simple uh, scenario, but like this just shows how you don't have to like uh, like refactor your whole database you can just take parts right. of it or like queries like whatever like this was like just a scenario and we took it out in its own thing it's doing it's thing i haven't checked it in like a very long time because it's just working you know <laughs> uh now i'm thinking maybe i should go <laughs> and check it um no but like that's like one one example where as i said like you don't have to refactor the entire thing you can just take part of it yeah, and, and one thing that I love about that example is I think a lot of people will think, oh, if I want to tack on or I want to go serverless, that I've got to somehow re-engineer my existing application. And that's this perfect example. Like, think if you got flooded with a bot or some sort of attack or something like that that was just adding new accounts and adding new accounts. It's not even touching your Mongo database, right? Because it's all getting buffered in this DynamoDB table that is going to scale. Um, and then unless it's activated, right, then those events don't get passed through. So you're taking off all kinds of load. You're making your, your primary database that is already scalable, but maybe can't handle those transactions uh, or that number of transactions. You're offloading all of that. Um, and that's just and that's just a perfect example. I love that. I mean, it's great. You know, great. Um, uh, I think anybody could use that exact same scenario for their signups right now um, and take a ton of load off that database. And like you said, just the maintenance of having to query through a MongoDB and look for you know the accounts that weren't activated yet. That's just that's just a waste. I mean, that's a complete waste. And with DynamoDB, were you just using like uh, the TTL to expire unactivated accounts? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's like. Uh, I, I remember in the um, in the presentation when when I was uh, presenting this uh, scenario, I gave like two options because one is to look at the um, just have a cron job that will trigger your lambda to like query the the DynamoDB based on um, the data that you you have in there. But the other one yeah. is to just store an expiration like expire it because you know like your accounts will expire in 30 days for instance and then you can use a TTL to expire those items and then like then you can use the stream to to trigger a lambda with uh, with with that data for instance so that that's another right. way of uh, of looking at this so you have multiple multiple choices that's that's a, a good scenario to be in uh, and it depends on right. what what you're doing right because remember on streams it will trigger any kind of activity and in our case mm -hmm. we only cared about expired so i think we just went for a cron job in this instance uh, but if it was possible to filter what kind of uh, events the stream will send, uh, definitely TTL would have been the, the, the right approach for us. 
Right. I mean, and even getting them in batches, I, I, I think the TTL approach would be interesting because then you could have that stream every time, you know, every time a, a, a account wasn't activated, you could forward that off to S3 or something like that so that you could store a record of the accounts that never were activated, have all kinds of data on that, but not have it in the operational database, um, which again is another really, I guess, uh, a good pattern to use in serverless, right? Is to say, um, you know, the things that need to be in operational databases, store those in operational databases. The things that can be stored for reporting and for, you know, data lake analytics and that kind of stuff, um, put those in another place like S3 or, or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the the beauty with with serverless that you can split things, and you should split things. Like all, all of these, as you say, like keep keep your uh, like main database doing what's uh, what's important for you, but all these like extra um, scenarios, put them outside and uh, have them on on their own. So they they just work on their little things, and they are very good at doing that. That thing, right? Uh, so uh, that's right. the that's the beauty with with serverless, and uh, um, it's something that people should consider, and not just put everything in one solution and build like a monster. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's some pretty good advice to end with, Angela. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, super informative stuff. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, connect with you, how do they do that? Uh, yeah, so I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn by using my name, or on Twitter also by using my name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, I'll be happy to talk uh, more about databases, serverless, or whatever, anything else. Uh, so yeah, awesome. uh, just use my name. All right, and so uh, and Trustpilot, uh, Trustpilot.com, if you want to check that out and. Uh, uh, and sign up there. So I will get all that in the show notes. Thanks again, Angela. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Angela Tamofte for being my guest this week and to our sponsors, New Relic and Epsigon. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 79. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.